Last week, uh, we started a new series of sermons. I think you'll get a feel today for the way we put this worship service together that really focuses on redemption because that's the topic that we're going to be looking at today. And we started it. It's Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians and the opening chapter. And actually, we're, we're dealing with one sentence, but it's a really long one. It's as though Paul gets to writing. He's thinking about the blessings. He's contemplating all the blessings that he has in Christ. And he begins to write, and it's like he can't put his pen down. He gets so overwhelmed with it. He's thinking about all of these blessings, these incredible spiritual blessings that he has in Christ. And he goes on and on and on and on and on with run-on sentences and phrases. And he goes on and on and in this one long sentence. And you'll see it as we unpack this over the next few weeks. So to, as we think about that, last week I told you, however, that Paul's great focus was not on the blessings. Now, we should appreciate the blessings. And they are awesome. They're extravagant. They're wonderful. And we're going to talk about the blessings because we need to appreciate the blessings. But here's the, here's the issue here. But never forget the giver of the blessings. Don't get so caught up in the blessings that you forget the giver of the blessings. And when Paul starts the sentence, he starts with this verse. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all of these spiritual blessings. It's interesting, it was Augustine who said, Alas, it is easy to want things from God and not God himself as though the gift could be preferable to the giver. How often do we concentrate on the blessings and on the gifts without, stop, without stopping and thinking about the giver of the gift? So as we go through this each week, I'm going to keep coming back to this verse to say, remember how Paul starts it. He starts it by reminding us of the beauty of the one who is the giver of all of these gifts. Now, let me remind you that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, and he could have easily focused on all the ways he had been mistreated. You know, when you look at his life, he did not have an easy life. His ministry was marked with great difficulties. And yet, Paul didn't focus on the difficulties. He looked at the Lord. He learned this very important thing. He learned that when he delighted in God for who God was, that he could have inexpressible joy and a peace that passeth all understanding. You see, that's the great secret of the Christian for handling the trials and difficulties of life. It's where your focus is. It's where your perspective is. And when we begin to learn to lift our eyes above circumstances and begin to look at him who gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When we begin to delight in him for who he is, then it changes everything. And in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our pain, we actually can have joy. We actually can have peace. The secret of it is, what's our focus? When we learn to delight in God simply for who God is, so each week as we go through the blessings, yes, we appreciate the blessings, and yes, we're going to talk about the blessings, but let's never forget about the one who made them all possible. Now, last week, I started with the first category of these blessings, 
And uh, I'm, I'm going to call them that. I'm, I'm actually listing them into sort of four categories of blessings from there that we'll look at over these next few weeks. And the first of these blessings has to do with the fact that God initiates. It is God who loves us first. It is God who comes after us. He chose us before the creation of the world. Out of his love, he made the choice to adopt us. He chose to bring us into his family. And last week, the focus was on the love of God. And we saw how he loves us so much. Listen, predestination is all about his love. In love, he predestined us. In love, he chose us. In love, he came after us. He rescued us out of our lost condition and brought us to himself. That, my friends, is the love of God. And there's nothing that can separate you from that love of God. Now, we focused on that last week. Remember, we're looking at the giver. And what do we learn about the giver? Oh, how he loves you and how he loves me. Now, today we're going to come to another category of these gifts, and this time uh, we're going to be talking about redemption. We're going to be talking about redemption, and we're going to focus on the love of God. As last week, this week we're going to be focusing on the holiness of God. And I'm going to show you today how the love of God and the holiness of God come together in this great work of redemption. So this morning, I'm going to read the passage. It's out of Ephesians 1, starting at the third verse. I'm going to read the whole thing because I want you to get a feel for it, but we're going to concentrate on verses 7 through 9 this morning. So this is God's Word. And listen to Paul as he writes. Imagine, he, imagine him there with his pen as he's contemplating. He's in prison. Imagine him as he's contemplating these spiritual blessings. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise 
of his glory. Now this morning we're going to be talking about this subject of redemption. And I'm going to talk about the meaning of redemption. And then I'm going to talk about the means of redemption. And then I'm going to talk about the purpose of the outcome of redemption. Pretty much all in this one verse. And I want to start with that word redemption because that word is critical to understanding what real Christianity is all about. Remember that, that the gospel is not about what we do for God. The gospel is about what God has done for us. He redeemed us. And I want us to look at that word redemption for a minute. Redemption, by definition, is the deliverance that one receives as a result of a payment of a ransom. And in our case of our salvation, that deliverance we receive is deliverance from the guilt and shame of our sin that is the result of the ransom that God himself paid, namely the death of his son. Now let me make sure you, you get that. The redemption that we have in salvation, the deliverance is from the guilt and shame of our sins, which results from the ransom that God himself paid, namely the death of his son. Now that's heart and core of what redemption is. Now the very first thing, you know, as we start thinking about this question of redemption, the first thing we have to do is raise this question. What do I need to be redeemed from? Why do I need to be redeemed? Well, let me try to answer this question this way. You know what the word gospel means, right? What kind of news is it? It's good news. That's what the word gospel means. Now, let me suggest to you that in order for us to ever appreciate the good news, we first of all have to understand the bad news. You'll never appreciate the good news till you understand the bad news. Now, here's the bad news. There it is. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, let me say, all means all. That's all of us. No one's exempt from this. I love the gospel. I love Christianity. Because you know what it does? It puts us all on the same playing field. One thing we know about each other is we're guilty sinners. Now, we don't like to admit it, and it's not something we like to talk about, but you know what? We are, and we all know that. And I'm sure that there may be some here this morning who say, well, of course. Uh, I know that we've all failed to meet God's standards, and, you know, but look, nobody's perfect, and surely God knows our weaknesses, and surely God understands. Well, let me stop you right there. Here's the problem with that kind of thinking. The problem with that kind of thinking is we don't understand how grievous our sin is. The only way you come to understand how grievous your sin is is to see yourself in light of the holiness of God. The only way you'll ever see how grievous your sin is, is to see yourself in light of the holiness of God. And when we talk about that word holy, the word holy means separate. It means distinct from. And when we're talking about the holiness of God, we're talking about that attribute of God. By the way, do you remember 
uh, Chalmers, the great, uh, the great Puritan writer on the attributes of God, says you've got to be careful with the attributes of God. You can't really put one above the other. He said, however, there is only one of God's attributes that is thrice used. And it's this one. Holy, holy, holy. The holiness of God is his total separation from all sin and evil. His, uh, scripture says, his eyes are too pure to behold evil. That is the holiness of God. And when we begin to see, when, listen, when we are confronted with the holiness of God, it has to leave us to a deep sense of conviction. It has to bring us to brokenness. And if it doesn't, you don't understand the holiness of God. Now, let me give you one illustration. because you have tons of them in Scripture. Every time anybody was confronted with the holiness of God, they reacted the way that Isaiah did in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Do you remember that chapter when he receives the vision of God? And he sees God high and lifted up. He's in the temple. Smoke is all around. And there are these two magnificent angelic beings. And they're crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can you picture that? I mean, it's almost like an antiphonal thing. Here's, here's one up here, one of those creatures singing it out, and the other in the back of the room singing it back, and Isaiah sitting right in the middle of that. Do you remember what his response was? He fell on his face as a dead man. And he said, woe is me. Now I'm going to tell you, I got under deep conviction this week as I was preparing this sermon because I realize sometimes how I don't take seriously the sin in my life. When I begin to study this and go through it and think about God's holiness, I'm going to tell you, it brought me to deep conviction. And I pray this morning that you and I see this, that we see his holiness. He's absolutely perfect. He's spotless. That total separation from all sin and evil. And then you begin to look at your life. And you begin to see in your life all of these ways that we have failed God, that we have come short. Remember, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I was reading in Richard Lovelace this week, and he, he, he wrote this. Only by fixing our attention on God can we accurately know ourselves. Let me say it again because I want you to listen. Only by fixing our attention on God can we accurately know ourselves, both the graces he has given us and the depth of our needs. If we compare our lives with those of other human beings, it may be easy for us to say, I'm okay. But if we measure our goodness by the holiness of God, it's another story. So why do I need to be redeemed? Because my sin is grievous before a holy God. And we have to come to grips with our desperate condition. Listen to me. All of us in this room 
have to come to grips with that. And the reality is that sinful human beings cannot redeem themselves. Last week I told you that the greatest enemy, to me, one of the greatest enemies of the gospel is religion, and religion is man's attempt to earn God's favor. And you know, there are many people, that's really the, the, that is the religion of the man on the street, is that's what most people think. I have to earn God's favor. I have to work hard at it. I have to try to be real moral. I have to try to be good. I have to do all these things. And we seek to earn redemption. You cannot do it. It's absolutely impossible. Man can never do it. Loveless says, the shallowness of many people who are, quote, saved may be due to the fact that they have never known themselves lost. And I'm going to tell you something. Our churches are filled with people who've never come to understand their desperate condition. To me, that's why there's such a shallowness to our faith. Now, this, by the way, if you haven't figured this out, this is not a feel-good sermon this morning. This is one of those that brings us into the holiness of God. This is one that brings us into the justice of God. And we, but we, look, we have to be honest. We would do you a terrible disservice if we didn't talk about these things. The shallowness of many people who are saved may be due to the fact that they've never known themselves to be lost. The problem is that in many of our churches, particularly down the south, we have a lot of nice people. Nice people. Good people. Moral people. People who've been successful. It's interesting that I love the end of C.S. Lewis's book on mere Christianity. If you've never read this, go get it. It's toward the very end. And read what C.S. Lewis says about nice people. But I want to give you this one quote from him. If you're a nice person, this is C.S. Lewis, mere Christianity. If you're a nice person, if virtue comes easily to you, beware. Much is expected from those to whom much is given. If you mistake your own merits, what are really God's gifts to you through nature, and if you contend it, and if you are contented with simply being nice, you're still a rebel. And all those gifts will only make your fall more terrible, your corruption more complicated, your bad example more disastrous. Wow. That's pretty blunt. Listen, here's what I'm saying this morning. Until we realize and accept our lost condition, we cannot grasp the extent that God went to to redeem us. We have to start with that, which then brings me to the means. We've talked about the meaning of redemption, but now let's talk about what is the extent to which God went through. And I want you to look at the verse again. In him we have redemption. Here's the key phrase. What is the means? Through his blood. That's the means and the only means. On your outline, you and we used it in the prayer this morning, you find this verse, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
So how is redemption possible? Christ became our substitute. Christ was made an offering for sin. Christ suffered the punishment. Christ was the payment. And let me put it this way. Redemption is only possible through a perfect payment. It requires a perfect substitute, a perfect sacrifice, which explains why we can't redeem ourselves. Religion won't work. In fact, we have to realize that without the shedding of blood, the Scripture tells us, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All the way through the... What were all of those bloody sacrifices in the Old Testament about? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What is the blood of Christ all about on that cross? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And thus, we're told, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. It's Christ and through his blood only. Now, let me pull this together in this way. A couple of things. We've talked about the love of God. And the love of God goes beyond anything we can comprehend. We talked about that last week. We can't fully grasp it. We can't comprehend how much we're loved. Now, today we're talking about the holiness of God. And the holiness of God has to do with his being separated from sin. And we've also admitted that we're all sinners. So how do we see the love of God and the holiness of God and the offshoot of the holiness of God, the attribute that flows out of the holiness of God is the justice of God. He must, he must punish sin or he wouldn't be a just God. So how do we see those things come together? And I'll tell you the answer to that is when you look at Jesus Christ dying on the cross, that's where you see it. There is the strict justice of God being played out. As Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, goes to that cross, and the very judgment of God comes upon him. So much so that he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There it is. But you see also the love of God. Because out of his love, he provided the sacrifice himself, his own son. And it's only in the cross that you see the harmony of these attributes of God come together. His love, he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And his justice, Jesus' bloody sacrifice on that cross as an atonement for our sin, to redeem us. So what do we know? We were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and nothing else could save us. A little while ago, we sang, uh, we sang Rock of Ages, and I asked Tom to put that in the service, because Top Lady had it right. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Being a nice person won't cut it. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? 
all for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Now that brings me finally, the outcome. What is the purpose of redemption? And it's found in that phrase, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. As a result of our redemption, our sins are forgiven completely and without reservation. In fact, look at the extravagant, excessive language that's used there. The riches of God's grace that he lavished. Are you picking this up? I mean, these incredible, excessive, extravagant grace of God that he pours out upon us because Jesus was the sacrifice. And so this morning, I want you to hear what God says about forgiveness. And especially those of you who this morning may still be struggling with shame and guilt over your sins. Or those of you this morning who maybe for the first time have said, I'm part of that all, for all have sinned. And I see now, even as I did this week, God convicting me, convicting me, convicting me of what I tri make trivial sometimes. How grievous sin is. And yet because of what Jesus did, I want you to hear what God says. Look, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. For I forgive your wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe God? Do you believe God? In Christ, we are forgiven. Our record is made clean. Our debt has been paid. And all of this is possible because God has lavished his grace upon us according to the riches of the Father's grace bestowed on us in his beloved. God gives and forgives out of his infinite riches of grace. He lavishes his grace on us. Annie Johnson Flint wrote the words of a hymn. It's beautiful. I don't want you to listen to these words. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his riches in Jesus, he giveth 
and giveth, and giveth again. 